0: The presenting sponsor for On Education is ClassCraft. We're excited to announce ClassCraft's new story mode, which makes it easy for educators to harness the power of stories. Episodes 1 and 2 of Season 1 are ready for you and your students to play today. And it's completely free. To learn more about ClassCraft and the new story mode, simply visit classcraft.com slash oneducation.
1: Romeo and Juliet this is not like some trite little thing like this is sex this is drugs this is gang activity like this is gonna rock (laughs) your world
2: All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We're welcoming Brianna Hodges. She's a national advisor and spokesperson for Future Ready Instructional Coaches, an experienced school and district leader with a superpower for storytelling, boy, oh boy, and developing community, camaraderie, and capacity. She will be a featured speaker at the Future of Ed Tech Coach track at FETC 2020. Hey, Brianna
1: hey y'all how are you
2: wow i can't actually believe that it took this long for us to get you on the podcast but i'm so happy you're here
1: i'm super we, excited uh, you know i mean it's a little bit of distance from texas to to you know to to the up north region so i understand yeah, yeah. Mean, it takes a little bit that's okay that's okay <laughs>
2: It's funny, we we share this, uh, this crazy moment that I that I still think back on all the time, this, this uh, dueling keynotes, the pictures are epic. Like, I just I can't get over how amazing it looks to be. I mean, and I just tell people, I mean, imagine you're the dude standing up there doing that because it was nonsense is what it was.
1: I know. And it's so funny, because it's such an interesting, you know, psychological experiment for I think, Everybody. I mean, I can only imagine, like, be when, you know, because for people who don't know, it was an opportunity where there's two people standing up on the stage at the same time providing a keynote over different topics, and we cannot we have headphones on and we can yeah. only hear what um, just kind of, I guess the reverberations of our voices as well as um, anything that might be kind of coming across through the, um, the headphones. Otherwise you're tuned into um, a specific channel. And so the idea the the brainchild of one Mr. Carl hooker was to um, kind of match us up against, uh, you know, somebody and it was our opportunity to, try to create interest through um, both through our slides, through our visuals, as well as through our content. And so it's kind of overwhelming because all you can do is you see like it light up um, from people. And so you don't know um, what all is kind of going through the head, through, through their heads. And so yeah. Mike and I were not up first. And so we got to be in the audience for a couple people. And I don't know about you, Mike, but for me, like I, because we know these people and you want to hear what other people are saying and you want to hear their thoughts and all this stuff. So you're constantly like switching back and forth. So for me personally, it wasn't like a judgment. It wasn't this, oh gosh, that person's terrible. I'm going to tune in over here now. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, and you're like, you know, nodding and you're appreciating everybody's work and you're flipping back and forth. But then when you take stage and you take on that different role, that perspective where you're, you know, trying to get your information across and you're trying to see what people are are doing then it becomes like this whole nerve-wracking experience where you're like oh my gosh did i say something horrible because people switched off or you know it's just all this stuff that's going on in your head and whether or not you want to listen to yourself or do you want to just try to block it all out and just you know kind of go through it that um definitely a very interesting psychological experience for sure
2: so For anyone who hasn't met you or is unfamiliar with your work or or anything like that, could you share a little bit about yourself, your background, a bit of your story, what has led you to speaking with us today?
1: Sure. So um, I'm from Texas, y'all, if you can't figure that out. Um, I'm from a small town in north central Texas called Stephenville. And um, I also spend a ton of time in Austin um, and uh, I did not start out in education. So I started out actually in politics and um, then moved into fundraising and then became the director of marketing and public relations for, um several different hospitals in uh, the North central Texas area. And, um, that actually led into, that was kind of one of my, I, I say I have many, many lives, but, um, I come from a family of educators. My father was a professor he was a college professor for 25 years and, um, um everybody from I mean, as, as long as as we can trace it back um, every generation has had teachers and educators in um, within it on both sides of my family and so education has really just been a um, continual forefront within and within our lives and uh, my father was always after me to go into teaching and um, so long and short of it I went from teaching people um which is really kind of what you do whenever you're marketing. You're trying to explain content and you're trying to do it in an engaging way and get people to understand that and you know leverage their learning. And I went from that uh, 24 hours a day for hospitals into um, becoming an English teacher and a middle school basketball coach and track coach. And so um, I like to tell people that I basically just took half the pay to go and um, mm-hmm. work with um, with a lot of, uh, in, in a lot of ways, a much more difficult information and difficult content so um When I was in the classroom, my my undergrad is actually in English literature. And so English was a a huge power point or passion point of mine. And um, coming from hospital healthcare, you spend a lot of time trying to explain these really big, scary things that people are nervous about and afraid about and have a lot of high stress around. And um, when you're trying to explain them, you leverage a lot of things like infographics and microsites on websites and interviews and testimonials and, um, you know, graphics and animations and all these different pieces. And um, so that was kind of where my comfort level was coming from that corporate level was you know creating those things and um, having that opportunity for people to connect in with that. So it made perfect sense for me whenever I was trying to explain ethos, pathos and logos or Shakespeare or, you know anaphora or any of these different things um, that, that I just went to that. I didn't know that ed tech was a thing. It just, that's what happens when you're out in the quote unquote corporate world. And I decided to bring that into my classroom and I saw my kids just completely and totally engage with it. They understood it. I was able to, um, you know, help them understand this is why, you know, you're not you're not learning English to learn how to diagram a sentence. This is what you're going to actually do in your native environment with this um, down the road. And so uh, that kind of transformed from me being in the classroom to you know, transitioning into uh, into district work and, and leading um, digital learning for some one-to-one school districts and uh, moving into instructional coaching and, and uh, professional learning and all that different kinds of stuff. So that's the nutshell version of me. Um, so, yeah, there you go.
0: So in a way, this is like a next chapter has actually occurred here recently, uh, because much like our friend Carl Hooker, you've also stepped out of the school district, the schooling and and then went out on your own. So can you tell us a little bit about how the transition has been and what you're up to now?
1: So I kind of like to refer to this as like my grandparent situation, even though I'm not a grandparent, but because it's a lot like how I felt whenever I left the classroom and then moved into district um, administration where I love it because I get to go and see um, what is happening across the country. I, I still go into schools. I still go onto campuses. I still get to work with districts in a variety of ways. And, um, and and then I get to get excited about it and share that experience with them and then turn them over to their parents and go in, and visit with my other grandkids. You know, and so it's it's this really exciting time where you get to. Have this opportunity to continually learn, um, and and it's been it's been so much fun. It brings its own series of stresses um, and its own you know concerns of trying to figure out how all these things kind of come together. But um, by and large, the thing that I can I, I I'm so appreciative of that I kind of already knew going into it, but I see it even more so is that. We all have similar experiences. We all have similar issues. We all have similar um, challenges and successes. It just comes in different packages along the way. And, um, and so that's what's really cool about this is you get to find these ways to connect all of the dots. And, um, and, I, and it's just been really – it's been a lot of fun.
2: So I am um, I'm all for causing fights. Especially with my friends, <laughs> so so uh, a couple weeks ago we had Carl on. Um, at I Impact love that my face is recorded
1: during all of this too. Like that's a little bit that's a little bit unnerving, but okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and he referenced a debate that you two have had every once in a while, and then that you know he referenced in the show and talked his position. And then you weighed in on Twitter, which was awesome. We were <laughs> totally wanting that to happen about the differences between teaching adults and teaching children and The funny thing is is that all three of us do this now, have done both, and uh Carl as well. so I think we all have kind of takes on this, which is which is what's fun about this. What is? i'm gonna ask it this way what does is, what, is, what does Carl get wrong here and so- and and what's what's your take
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity to um, to have this conversation, because I I do think it's one that's really interesting. I do also think that I am kind of uniquely positioned to talk about this because I started out working with adults and then moved into um, moved into working with with a little bit younger versions of this. And so talking about this, um, you know, you heard my story like I basically utilized a lot of the same skill sets that I used with my adults with my middle school students, so with my 14, 15, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids. And and I do also think in his defense, and we've talked about this as well, is that it is different working with um, secondary students. Uh, you know, I think you have a different bag of tricks um, than you do whenever you're working with you know, your younger students um, as well. And so I think we have different perspectives that we come at that with. So just kind of giving some little caveats as we go through that. That said, um, what do I I don't think mm, I don't want to say that Carl's wrong, but I will say that um, one of the things that I think that we have to really think about whenever we talk through andragogy and pedagogy is um, we have to decide that it's we're, we're not talking, in my opinion, about Adults learn this way and, and children learn this way. And because that's not the case, like if you look at all of the research, it doesn't say children have a completely different way of learning than adults do. I think the challenge that comes at it is that we don't when we talk about andragogy and pedagogy, we're ta- we, we misuse our words a little bit. Mm. And um and I think that what's important to remember is that learning happens regardless of your age or stage based off of experience. And so, um, you know, the thing that, that Carl and I do go back and forth over a lot is he'll say, well, adults innately have more experience. And I push back and say, you know, unfortunately in this day and age, there are a lot of kids that have a lot more experiences with things at five and six than many of our colleagues do at 55 and at 65. Um, you know, we know that trauma is there. We know that, that there are so many things that happen, um, through SEL and through all these different elements, um, and we can't in, in my mind talk about all of that knowledge there and then pretend that automatically at age 18, you suddenly become this adult and now you suddenly are going to learn in a different way. Um, you know, all of the research from Knowles and, and everything that's been cited focuses on the idea that it's about motivation. It's about uh, which, uh, internal motivation, not external motivation, and it's about experience. And so, um, I think that that's, for me, that's where it really becomes important. Like, you can't walk into um, a, a group of eighth graders and tell them, "Hey, I just want you to learn this because you're just going to learn this." You have to give them an opportunity to understand where the relevance is. You have to help them understand, um, you know, when they're going to use this again, and you have to give them that, uh, you know, that connection to their experience as they move forward.
0: Do you think that there is a, and I mean, you've done both. And like you said, you taught adults and then you went to stud- younger students and mm-hmm. then adult, back to adults again. Um, can we carry, like sometimes as an instructional coach now, I wonder if I'm, you know, I have the set of skills. Like I know I could kick butt teaching Spanish. I was a kick butt Spanish teacher for 20 some years. As an instructional coach though, I think I'm an okay instructional coach. And that's only because of kind of how I feel as far as the feedback that I'm getting, do you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. the impact that I'm having with this set of adults, do you think that those experience that I I have had and others have had, and we move into these positions, can we use those to be able to do the same, or not the same, but to be able to use those things to leverage adult teaching, or do we have to... For example, like what I'm doing right now is trying to read up and watch as many videos. And, and I mean, honestly, I've been looking at your website and doing different things to be able to go ahead and become a better coach, teacher, let's just call it, of adults. Because I don't feel like I'm – I don't, definitely don't feel like I'm a kick-butt instructional coach. I feel like I'm doing Okay you know, have you ever heard that kind of experience yeah. there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the thing that I, I see in my work across the country is that, number one, that's a very, very normal feeling that we have across across the board is that the majority of us, first and foremost, we were really, really successful in the classroom. And that's why we were then moved into instructional coaching. And so, um, which is good, unfortunately i don't think we quite have our minds wrapped around what coaching really means um typically coaching doesn't mean that you should be the absolute best at what you do with it when it comes to your content so I see this question happen a lot when it'll be like like for you you were this, you were a Spanish teacher and so you feel really confident in the content around Spanish but you might not feel really confident in the content around um, mathematics and so maybe you know if you were going to go in if you're working at the high school level and you're going to go work with a calculus teacher you might be like look eek, I'm not really sure how to do this um that's not where you know my comfort level is. And, um, and that's really typical. Like I hear this, especially like age ranges where people will be, they were an elementary teacher and then they're going to work with middle school teachers or or high school teachers and they're uncomfortable with that content. They don't feel like they have a, a place of authority to have that conversation. Um, so in, in my mind, the challenge is, is that we are not there to actually teach our teachers to be better at their content what we're actually there as instructional coaches to do is to help them be better at instructional strategies. It's to help them come at that from a strategy standpoint, instead of just, Hey, let me show you how to do this, this lesson. And so um I pull a lot of that from my, um my, my work as an athletic coach actually, because I, there's been many, many, many times whenever I wanted to uh you know, tighten up my shoelaces and run out on the court and just do it for my kids because they were not running the play the way that they needed to, or they didn't read the defense the way that I wanted them to. And I couldn't do that. Um, as the coach, that's a technical, right? Like if I run out onto the court, um, I should know I got, I got more than my fair share. I'm sure that's not hard to believe. Um, but, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, you have to be able to turn that over to those ki- to those to those learners and let them um, be successful in their way, um, not just the way that you personally saw it happening. Um, and and, you know, my my uh, my my um, reference point for that is that there are many, many really successful coaches that were not. um in the same quote unquote content area as the people that they coached. So, um, gymnastics, for example, right? Like Bella Karolyi was not a woman's gymnast, but he sure knows how to coach him really well. So we've got to be able to look at the strategy and the plays and the algorithms that we're asking for rather than the very specific content.
0: One of my, uh, you know, I, I, again, like Mike said, we all agreed that it was different. And one of the reasons why I I guess I said that it was definitely a different thing or I felt it was different is I always felt like my students gave me the benefit of the doubt. Do you know what I mean? In other Mm -hmm. words, as I walked in first day, whether or not they were engaged in school or they hated school or their previous experiences or whatever it might be, and I taught high school kids, um, I always felt like I had an opportunity to be able to hook them, right? Mm -hmm. And with adult learners, I don't feel like I have the opportunity to hook all of them. And it's maybe because of some specific skill sets that I'm missing. And I was going to say,
1: I think if you were honest, you would also have made you, you made a very interesting addition to your to your description whenever you talked about the adults versus the students, because your students, you were like, they they gave me the, the, the benefit of the doubt. And then you said with your adults, they don't all give me the benefit of the doubt. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we had those, I mean, every single one of us had those kids those kids right that were like those tough little tough little cookies that you know no matter what they were like really really Mr. Irvin how are we going to use that and you're like let me show you how you know and those were the ones because maybe they all lived in Texas but I certainly had my fair share of students who wanted (laughs) to know like why do we need to know this miss and the minute that and I I mean I will never forget I've uh, people have heard me tell this story so many times my very first year teaching the the eighth grade boy who asked me why do we need to know this and said it in the little eighth grade, you know, snarky way. And he didn't (laughs) mean it snarky. Like he truly wanted to know. And that's honestly, that's the key to implementation. I mean, I've been the person who has like gone from, you know, I was at a school district where we went from no tech to one to one. And I was the person who stood in between that and, and literally was the person who stood in front of a group of high school teachers and said, why do you, you know, how are you going to be this teacher? And I had a teacher who wrote, I have no idea why, and I don't know why I should care. And that moment was that aha moment of, you know what, you're exactly right, because I, have to give you a reason and a rationale behind why we're doing this. And you've got to be able to own that. Not just you do it because I say you're doing it because you can't walk into your classroom and tell them you're going to learn Spanish without them having a reason behind that. You probably had, again, maybe they all live in Texas, but you probably had some, some very compliant students who came, showed up every single day, did their work, but never learned a bit of of Spanish, but they were nice about it. They didn't, you know, they weren't, they weren't kind of, you know, snarky about it, just like you may have had some who, who were challenging in those ways. And once you listened to them and thought, oh, you know what, I need to provide this in a way that is relevant for them. You know, there's no silver bullet for relevancy. And um, we can't talk about having personalization and individualization for all of our learners if we're not willing to acknowledge that our strategies also have to, 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 um, you know, reach different kids in different ways.
0: On Education is brought to you by Fidgets. Fidgets are interactive USB sensors that support all major programming languages that make physical computing easy. Fidgets keep the emphasis on coding while increasing student engagement. And the best part is that you can get started for free right now. Simply go to bit.ly slash fidgets on education to get your introductory kit that includes a free sensor worth over $50. That's bit.ly slash fidgets on education.
2: It's, it's funny because um, um, over the years, we've talked to a number of people who have talked about things like initiative burnout and like new implementation burnout and, and people being forced to do things that they didn't want to do and and being told you got to do this or you got to do this. And, and I, I think my approach when I was coaching or I was mostly like a technology integrationist. So, um, it was, I'm, this is going to make your job easier or this is going to make your teaching better. And, and I'm going to show you how that'll work. Now you can take it or leave it, but I want to help you, you know, feel like you're more productive because I mean, um, One of the biggest fears that my teachers always had was, was, was time. Like, like you're giving me this thing to do now that's going to take up all of my time and I'm going to go home and think about it and I'm going to not, you know, spend time with my kids and then I'm going to come to school and I'm going to be paranoid about it. And, um, I, I just wanted to make their jobs easier and find the ways to do that with, with the technology. And, um, you know, it's, but Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is super interesting. I I love this conversation. Which I think is...
1: And I love that you said that, Mike, because it is, it's one of those, I think that that's a very powerful motivator for some people. And if you come to one of my sessions at FETC, where we're going to talk about implementation, um, we'll talk about, I I believe that there are three different types of um, motivators for, for teachers, especially when it comes to implementation. Um, But, uh, and one of them is the person who's interested in time and productivity. Um, the, The challenge with that is that it's like, like we're we're at the very beginning of the year, right? And I don't know about you guys, but I went and bought my planner. Actually, I bought 5 planners because I couldn't decide which one I wanted for this year. And um and that speaks into this challenge of trying to um kind of, uh, prescribe or mandate or implement or whatever words you want to use for productivity and efficiency, because everybody's going to have a different take on it. And, um, and, and only so many people are actually truly motivated by that, um, Mm. that, that element. And so it's really interesting, um, to, to find that so I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give away just yet what those other two types of teachers are um so you'll have to come in and and check it out totally. at, at the at the conference but um but what I will also say is that one of the ways that I again because we're at the beginning of the year and so let's celebrate all of that in its entirety um is that another thing that I like to talk about with implementation is that we end up treating it I, I like to to um you know to kind of connect it to starting a diet plan so like if it's it's the beginning of the year, and I've decided that we're going to, you know, really take our eating habits by by the horns, and and we're just gonna we're gonna work on this. And I've decided that, you know, my kids haven't, my spouse hasn't. I've just decided that this is what it's gonna look like in, in our house. And so, who's the person who's the most invested in this? I am, right? So I'm the one who's gonna do all of the research on it. I'm the one who's gonna find out all of the strategies, look into the best elements, you know. Do the grocery shopping, do all these different pieces, but no one else in my household is actually in. They may be compliant, they may be doing hmm. it because I've asked, I, I've told them, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, we want to do this, but they're not truly bought in. They're they're what I like to call that bobblehead mentality. They're like, okay, yeah, sure, 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 sure. The the challenge then comes in when I'm out of town, right? And so then what happens? Like if all of a sudden, um, you know. My my kids have to pack their own lunch, and they're not there to like pull the things that I've done for them. Are they going to make the right choices? Um, you know, is my spouse going to make the right choice of of the quote unquote the right choice of this is what I you know what I would have done? And the answer is, no matter how good intentioned they are, they're not going to make it because they're not as informed because they don't have the buy in that I have, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think that that that's one of those elements that we forget as leaders is that we may have all the committees that we want to have. We can have all of the, um, you know, the, the stakeholder meetings, we can have cross content conversations. We can have all these district planning things, but we're never going to actually get that true why for each one of the people. And you're not going to have implementation until you have that why behind there.
0: Do you ever talk about, uh, I always feel like, you know, Mike described tech integration. I actually feel that, you know, in the process of, you know, implementation of, of a one-to-one thing, let's just call it that, that those first three years, you know, people talk about the difficulty of that. It's very tech related. And actually a lot of people are, uh, by by people, I mean a lot of teachers are very receptive to that very low level, entry level usage of devices etc programs apps whatever you want to actually call it we are now 7 8 years down the road mm-hmm. in this thing and now we're talking about the high level usage it's not about the 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 computer or the specific app it's about good teaching and pedagogy mm-hmm. That transition between those two things, that's the point that we're at right now. And that's the hard conversations that we're having, you know, when it comes to professional development, people like to live in that space Mm -hmm. where you teach them 10 ways to use this blah, blah, blah. And you can pull this trick from this thing. We still see it in in conferences, some -hmm. of the most popular sessions, because it's not it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's going to push you beyond something else to an uncomfortable spot. And right now we are pushing people to these uncomfortable spots because mm-hmm. we want them to push themselves as far as to the next level of whatever it is, you know, you know, pedagogically. Do you ever, when you're talking out there to all of these different districts, that I believe is the space that a lot of people are in right now. And then you're, and a lot of people are just saying, we're just gonna live in that other space. It's just much easier. Let's not move beyond that. And some of us are like, now we can't do that. It's just not it's not the right thing to do. We all have to start continue to grow as far as anything. So so what do you tell districts as far as being able to make that transition between kind of let's just if you were saying a framework, substitution or whatever it might be, and really pushing yourself to to the new boundaries and really talking about pedagogy versus just talking about integration?
1: So I'm so glad that you, because I do, I think it's so, so truly words matter, right? Like that's not just me being an English nerd, but um, implementation versus integration are very, very different things. And I think that we set our goals around integration, especially in those early ages, in those early ages of those initiatives, right? Where it's like, okay, we just need to get 50% of the people to do this. And if they'll do this and they're using it, then we are rocking and rolling, right? If we Mm -hmm. can just get a hundred percent of our kids to put their name on their paper, then that means that they are doing good. If we have no zeros, then that means that they understand the content and the fact of the matter is is that no that's an arbitrary measurement that we have placed because we can easily say yes they're using it or no they're not but it's not changing the quant the the quality of learning right exactly. it's qualitative versus quantitative and so that's why i kind of go back um to that conversation of i, I It is very common. And I, I I believe that it is a a very easy thing to find ourselves kind of lulled into, which is in those first couple years, if all we do is focus on efficiency and productivity, that's not going to get us where we need to go. So we, we really need to stop. Honestly, like we cannot say, Hey, this is going to make your job easier. What we need to focus on is this is what's going to make learning more whatever your adjective is right like more engaging more you know re- wherever you want to go with that instead of saying this is going to make the, te- the the job easier for the teacher or for the student it needs to be that learning that that, that has to be the focus there and um you know I, I see this how like it happened in my district where where um in one of my districts where, where we started out we were like we just need them to be using it and um we weren't seeing teaching change all we were seeing is, you know, those um those online worksheets instead of uh instead of um in, instead of actual change. And exactly. it was one of those conversations a lot around and I'm glad you said substitution. Um Again, you know, being here in Texas, I have a conversation with them about what happens if you, you know, if you want to have some sweet tea and you're trying to get rid of your um your your sugar intake, you're trying to, to be careful about that, you're gonna switch it out. If we use the word substitute, if I'm gonna use a sugar substitute, I'm expecting that it's going to taste the same. Uh-huh. Which means that I'm going to get the same outcome. So if I have kids who are not at the high school level, who are not turning in their work, who are not, you know, interacting with these kind of things, but yet I'm just giving them the exact same thing, but online, I'm going to get the same result. And so, um, you know, how do we move into that integration or to that, to that implementation? And, um, and, and again, you know, uh, Carl and I saw this um, in, in, in um, last year for us as well, where. We go from, you know, being in a school district that's been one to one since 2011. And so how much has our why changed along the way? And so when you start looking at that integration piece where we're just using it and from, you know, that that productive and and efficient level to then really wanting to see what that learning looks like in the classroom now. um, If we're not revisiting the why behind that, then you can't defend it and you can't support it. And so then it just becomes whatever the flavor of the day is for how we feel about change or how we feel about technology or how we feel about learning. Um, when we really, really need to focus on that experience.
2: So switching gears a little bit at, at learn last year, uh, last summer, um, uh, Carl has always done these, these poetry, this poetry slam, that's his thing. um, and uh last summer you delivered a poem that basically blew the doors off the place <laughs> um everyone was in everyone was in tears by the end of it you had you had everyone it was amazing stunning and i'm not going to do it justice but it was basically about women as leaders um and the challenges that that presents um uh and again i'm not describing it even remotely as as good as i should um i would love for you to talk about and about that poem and 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 your your thoughts around it and and where it came from and and stuff like that
1: well thank you for your very kind words. It was it was a lot of fun to um to be able to participate in it. Um I it's my it's not my first time to do the poetry slam but it was definitely uh, I'll say the very first time I did the poetry the poetry slam um at Tech Poetry Slam. I uh, was asked very late in the game and so I was it, Carl was like, Oh, just make it fun. It'll be great. And so it was very off the cuff and it was very fun and everyone else were very serious and I felt like so, so silly. And so I I decided that I was going to bring my game, you know, as the person, as the, as the, the, the literature major, like I've really got to make sure that I do that. That, So I I couldn't let my, couldn't let the great EAP and and Billy shakes down. Right. So um, anyways, it was, it was a really, um humbling experience to be able to have that opportunity to to kind of share um experiences and stories and uh and I'm a big believer that if we want to have equity we have to have empathy and so the gateway to empathy is story you if you can't share your experience and you can't tell the story of your experience other people aren't going to hear that and they're not going to understand how they can change that experience for other people. And so, um, so being able to do that through, through the poem was, was really important to me. Um, that said, uh, kind of the background on it was, um, what it's like to, and, and I'm not saying that this is um, a unique experience to women, but um, speaking as a woman, it's definitely something that I'm more um, familiar with that experience, which is uh, the the pressures that society puts around um, appearance, the judgments that are made around appearance, um, both uh, for women and for men within uh, our society. So basically, what happens when people walk into a room? And um, what are all of the assessments that are made about you? based upon what you look like. And um, uh, I'm a pretty tall person and um, have always uh, <laughs> been pretty tall. And so I've had that challenge of being taller than the men um, that I've worked with. And what does that look like and what does that mean especially when you add in um being from the south and and a lot of the uh the 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 draws and the y'alls and the mm-hmm. the politeness and the, the things like that what does that look like and so um so talked a little bit about that and and um unfortunately i think that Again, it's not necessarily something that, that is limited to um, women feel this way and men feel this way. I think that uh, that, that we as women put just as many um, eggs in that basket, if you will, uh, and make a lot of harsh judgments off of what um, people, look like uh, what women look like they we decide they're either going to be nice or they're going to be catty or they're going to be you know all these different adjectives off of um off of that appearance and appearance, how intelligent yeah. you are and, and different things um that come along that way and so the poem is is really kind of a a, a conglomeration of all of that um the other side of it is it, it's actually entitled um it's in, it's entitled show pony and um and part of that is a nod to to what i just said that it's also, um, I, my, I said that my father was a professor for 25 years. So, so my dad passed away seven years ago. Um, he was a professor of, of animal science. So he was really, really well known, um, as, uh, in the horse field. And so we grew up with horses. I still raise horses. Um, and, uh, and so there's a lot of, of, uh, reference and analogy to what it's like to be that, person that is worked very hard um, by someone else and then put into a situation to kind of be shelved and off to the side and only let out whenever that person wants them to be out and only to be that face whenever it's um, appropriate and necessary for that owner to, to trot that person out there, let them do their their thing for their benefit for that, for the owner's benefit and then put them away. And so, um, what does that, that really, you know, do for those people, um, who are, who are those horses in those situations?
2: Crazy. Uh, it was, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing to be there. I'm so glad I was, um, we, this is the, the second last question is, is a doozy and we, we spring it on people, but what are, three pieces of media be it a a book or a movie or a tv show or a youtube video whatever that have shaped your thinking or influenced you or inspired you or that you're applying right now and you could recommend to our listeners
1: well i have to say this simply because um Carl will just roll his eyes and we'll just die. But um, one of my one of my favorite books that I I do like to talk about, in addition to anything by Brene Brown, because, number one, I mean, we're both from Texas. We both graduated from the University of Texas. And so we're basically the same person. Right. So we're going to just let that be a freebie. (laughs) So anything that that comes in through there. But um, the second one that I utilize a lot and I I reference a lot is um, Creativity, Inc. by by Ed Catmull. And so um, if you haven't had the opportunity to, to read it or to listen to the audible version or, or whatever the case is, um, I, I truly think there are so many great takeaways from that book, um, just from thinking about thinking differently. And how do we um, use this world that that we are truly creating every single day um and in in new and different ways and and inspire people to keep creating um so there's some really great management and leadership techniques um an insight in there and uh and and truly carl every other day would i would say you know if you would just because i i couldn't get him to read it so you guys are gonna have to ask him next time you see him anybody who's listening out there please if you see carl hooker ask him if he's got um (laughs) creativity inc and if he's read it and then ask him for his favorite quotes from it because i'm sure he'll just absolutely (laughs) love that but uh so so yeah that's a big one for me um let's see Ah, it's really, um, oh, that's a big doozy of a question. Like you didn't even help, help me like prepare for that. Now I'm supposed to rattle all these things off of the top of my head. Um, I am hugely influenced by, um, And I know this is going to be really trite and I completely understand that, but I am hugely influenced by Shakespeare. Um, part of that is because he was, um, a great, uh, commentator of what was happening in, in his life and what he saw. And, um, you know, I think that unfortunately we have, have chat, we've changed how that's represented in, um, in, in our day and age now. Um, we took what was meant to be something that was uh, performed and, and seen, and we've um, made that be kids need to read this, and and that has distanced um, the experience of it. And so, I think if you if you look hmm. at it and you really start to look at all of the historical um, you know inferences and the you know the word play and and the descriptions and the engagement and you know a lot of the political commentary that he um, that he presented in his work uh, is just so impressive to me. Um, and, and then to to take some of those pieces and apply them into our world today. Um, one of the things that I like to say is that I believe that every single person is, um, is three things. Number one, every single person is an educator because we're always taking our information and we're trying to get other people to understand it. Every single person is a marketer because you're taking your information and you're trying to get people to like and to buy into what it is that you're doing. And then lastly, Every single person is a storyteller, and so taking those experiences and and sharing them in a way that people remember and hold on to. Um, and, and I think that that um, that Shakespeare just definitely represented all of that um, together. And and uh, you know, t- he's a pretty good dude. So big fan we, of that. Yeah,
2: uh, we butcher we butcher the way Shakespeare is read too. That's one thing that I learned as an adult that I didn't realize when I was in high school, in particular is that is that if you read Shakespeare the way it's meant to be read it makes so much more sense
1: exactly than, exactly then
2: than, than the way you read it when you're in class and you I mean I realize you're your kids and you're whatever and uh, but but like when you get a professional Shakespeare reader to read it it mm-hmm. makes so it it, it makes so much more sense
1: yes and when you add in the expressions and the you know the movement i mean you're not supposed to be reading all of the you know the stage directions or any of that kind of stuff like it's truly how this is being represented and i remember teaching romeo and juliet for the first time and my my kids were like rolling their eyes i had the majority um boys that year and they were just like this is going to be awful and i was like okay look you have not experienced shakespeare the way that i'm going to do like Romeo and Juliet this is not like some trite little thing like this is sex this is drugs this is gang activity like this is going to rock your world and they were like holy cow i mean like we you know which i'm sure you know, again de- definitely different times but um, yeah yeah oh we had a we had a great time like we built yeah, now they're swords in. did all kinds of stuff i mean they totally under like loved sure. it after that but um but that's what it's supposed to be so yeah for sure for sure awesome. there um the last one I'll share, and I'll I'll give it to you guys so you can put it in the show notes um, and link to it. It's a video that I just recently came across. Um, found it on YouTube, and it's called "A Like," and it's an animated um, video. It's about nine minutes or so, but I'm um, totally worth the 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 um, the experience on it. Um, it's, it's a, a, an amazing video about compliance and what happens, what we do as adults specifically working with kids Um, it's actually presented uh, as a father and a son Um, so as a mom I can definitely relate to it you know we spend a lot of our time telling our kids do it this way don't do that way Um, you know and and I remember I remember when my oldest was was really young and the very first time that I didn't answer his question I said I don't know I mean I was really tired and I I just like snapped at him and I was like I don't I don't know and he stopped in his tracks and he he like froze. And he looked at me and he was like, but you always know the answer. And it was that moment when my heart actually kind of paused because I realized, no, I don't know the answer. And if he's just going to trust everything that I say and not think for things himself, like that's what I want is for him to have this imagination and him to have his own experiences and not just, you know, memorize the situations that I've, I've given him or, you know, gone off of what my experiences are. And, um, you know, fast forward, my little boy is going to be 11 in a couple weeks. And, um, he, uh, and, and so seeing this video kind of brought that home because it talks about this little boy who's going to school for the first time and he's trying to draw us pictures and he's doing all these different things. And, um, the, uh, the, the teachers are just trying to get him to write his name in the right spot. And so he brings his work back and shows his dad and his dad focuses on the corrections that his his teacher is giving him rather than celebrating the things that like make him so happy, which is drawing this picture of him swinging with his dad at the swing set that they pass every time that they walk to school. And then as time goes on, he doesn't want to swing with his dad anymore because his dad is is, you know, so focused on that. At the same time, there's a parallel story of as soon as his dad drops the, the little boy off. Um, then the dad goes to work and he's basically in that same situation where his work is being graded over, is it? you know, conforming to the norms that his boss is wanting him to do rather than these creative elements and how he starts to just shut down and just goes into, you know, robotic um, movements and, and, and um, responses and things like that. And so it's really, really powerful. Um, I really, uh, I just really liked it. So I'd love to share that with you guys.
0: How can people connect with you and learn more about you, maybe your website.
1: Yep, so you can find me online at Brianna Hodges, B-R-I-A-N-N-A-H-O-D-G-E-S dot com or pretty much on any social media at hodge's edu and would love to connect with you guys would love to hear your stories your experiences and um and and how we can all kind of come together to make this a better place because that's one of those things that you know that's the coach in me that's the realizing that we don't have all of the answers but you know what somebody out there has had an experience that we could leverage into our new experience that we're walking into so let's get connected
2: So FETC 2020 is around the corner next week in Miami. Uh, Registration, I think, is still open. Uh, If you want to learn more about what Brianna is going to be doing uh, at FETC, go check out FETC.org. Thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome.
1: Thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to
0: On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at OnEducationPod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter. And I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting Facebook.com OnEducationPod. We're also on Instagram at OnEducationPod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.